Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, last week's elections brought brisk winds of change across the country, including here in Boston, where voters upended an old political dynamic and embraced an historic slate of women and people of color. Also, everybody wins in Kentucky, with Democrats narrowly claiming the governorship and Republicans electing the state's first black attorney general. Plus, Senator Elizabeth Warren scores a key presidential endorsement from fellow Massachusetts lawmaker, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. It's a full hour of political insight and analysis from the mass politics profs. Here with me in the studio, Erin O'Brien. Hello again, Erin. It's so fun to be here. I'm glad to have you. Luis Jimenez. Hi, Luis. Glad to be here. And also Morris Moe Cunningham. Welcome back, Moe. Nice to be back, Kelly. I'm glad to have you. All three of them are associate professors of political science at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, as well as contributors to the blog masspoliticsprofs.org, where you can find more of their commentary and analysis. Well, let's jump right in with City Council Elections in Boston. Woo-wee! Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Boy, what a difference uh, a few years makes, Erin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've lived here for 13 years, and, you know, uh, one of the biggest takeaways about Boston, Boston politics remains the same. Nothing changes in Boston. False. At least when it comes to city council, this is, you know, our city council now looks like Boston, and uh, it, it's a place where people start and move up the chain, if you will, in Boston politics. So I think it's really good news for the city, and it's exciting news for, you know, just a more diverse uh, set of faces and politics and policy in Massachusetts. And we know from the literature that makes the policy better. I know. Just to be clear, there are now majority women on the city council. I just can't even wrap my head around that. (laughs) And seven of the councilors of the newly configured board are people of color. Mo. You know, the thing that struck me uh, was a couple of weeks ago, I I ran across a poster um, advertising a debate between the eight finalists for citywide council. And I looked at it and I really stepped back because there was one white guy on it. And it wasn't so long ago when it would have really been eight white guys, all of, you know, maybe seven Irishmen and an Italian-American. <laughs> yeah. uh, and this just knocked me back. I thought it was just it was such a welcome thing because we're finally going to have a more representative body and people will have uh, folks that they are comfortable with and they can speak to. And this is really a great move forward for the city. So, Luis, not only did various people win in the districts, but what was really startling is that the uh, four at-large candidates are, you know, people of color. And that is amazing. Well, you know, the uh, majority people of color, because 
there was a time, really not too long ago, I'm thinking back when Ayanna Presley was mm-hmm. running. I was when, on with you in 2011. Yes, when the word was, if you were a person of color, you could not run at large in, in Boston. So that's yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm really excited to see what they do. And the other amazing thing, too, is that if I mean, there was this uh, Sanguian who was just only a few votes short. So if there would have been more seats, we would have had even another person of color. Yeah. So it's it's pretty amazing. So let's thank you for bringing up Alejandra St. Guillaume. She's called for a recount. Um, she and Julia Mejia. Mejia, they're 10 votes apart. And on Julia's benefit, however. So let's first take a listen to this is Alejandra Sanguillon and Representative Nika L. Ugardo on election night. Hello. Hey, everybody. It's voting day. Yay. It's time for the voting day video. Absolutely. I'm Alejandra Sanguillon. This is Nika Ugardo. <laughs> I'm the state rep for this area, Curly School. Oh, yeah. It's my polling yeah. location. I vote here, and I will be voting for Alejandra. All right, so there was great amount of excitement. That was before the results came back and the 10-vote count uh, was made clear. Here is Julia Mejia. Uh, she's declaring victory after the election. We're really excited um, about our victory, and we're going to claim it, right? Vamos, vamos a reclamar la victoria. So, um, in order for uh, St. Guillaume to have a recount, as I understand it, she has to go and get 50 signatures in each of the precincts, then come back, and then they have to hand count 66,000 votes. <laughs> we don't make it easy in Boston, do we? <laughs> I didn't know those details until, yeah. you know, she called for the recount. I, I think given the question you just asked us, I think it's the tale of two sort of sides of this. It's such a welcome change to see a more diverse city council. And, you know, once you run, you do all that energy, they're acting exactly like politicians. Right. Yeah. Julia's out there saying, I won. We're moving forward. You know, like I'm putting my staff together. And Guillaume is saying, no, no, not so fast. We're going to go through the process. We have to honor the vote. So part of the reason they won is they're good politicians, and now they're acting exactly as politicians (laughs) do when you're separated by 10 votes. So one of the things that some people had worried about before, given what I just said about the problems with people of color running at large, was that there would end up being perhaps no Latinos, even though there were some running because they would just be voted out. Nobody had ever anticipated a fight between the one for the one seat. So this is a totally different scenario that I don't think people predicted. (laughs) <laughs> There's always a lot of worry that we're going to we're going to take boats away from each other. And in this case, it didn't. I mean, on some level, I guess you could say it happened. But the extraordinary thing is what a strong showing for both of these women. That's a good point. You know, it, it's uh, advertising and flyers and being on social media. But this is a straight organizational thing. Everybody at the end, at 8 o'clock on, on the night of election night, everybody sits back and says, gosh, did we do everything we could do? And both of these individuals are sitting there. Oh, is there somebody else we could have reached? A tenth more people we could have reached. Mm. It's a really it points up the importance of having folks on the street working for you. Exactly. That's the very important point, which is that every vote counts. And of course, in this particular case, the turnout was relatively low. So getting just a few more people would have made the difference. But the thing about city politics is, especially with Latinos, I mean, that's part of the reason I think that people worried about this is Latinos as a whole tend to be more disengaged from politics. And so especially for something like this, for a citywide vote, you'd really need organization and you need to to mobilize people. And so it is impressive. That's really the impressive part that they were able to, to get this many votes. 
All right, so let's talk about um, just one more thing about this, the, the, the meaning of this. Our, our David Bernstein, who writes a political commentary for us, uh, calls it old politics, new progressivism, and says it's going to be kind of a balance because the old politics that we spoke of may have been upended by the election, but there are certain kinds of things that are in place. And here we have now a city council that's pretty progressive overall, and what will that look like? In addition to that, um, we have at least potentially two contenders for uh, mayors going up against Walsh, and that would be Andrea Campbell, who's a current president, and Michelle Wu, who topped the list mm-hmm. of uh, at-large candidates in terms of votes, though it was pointed out that uh, originally when she won, um, she had 25%. She dropped to 21 So I, I don't know how to read that. Anyway, just want to get your, your thoughts on that. Both uh, Andrea and Michelle Wu have had very significant, specific proposals that go up against Walsh while in place now. And we haven't even seen them in action with this newly configured council, which presumably would even be more supportive of the kinds of things they've been advocating. To the point on Michelle Wu, I actually went back and looked at uh, Ayanna Presley's returns when she came in three uh, elections in a row and then second. And, you know, the numbers were like 24, 18, 21. So, you know, Wu's um, small bounce or small downtick is very much in keeping with uh, another politician who's moved on from the council um, quite well. Um, And so Boston politics just got a lot more interesting. And, you know, Luis was making the point. It's good news when these politicians are two women of color are, are fighting it out. It's really nice that it's not a tokenism anymore, that two Latina women um, can be. You know, reasonably having some slightly different issues and here's why I'm better and here's why the community isn't holding it against me because I'm doing a recount. We all fought for those positions. So I think no one on that council has to be the voice for the whole community. You know, that hasn't been my experience, but I bet it has to be pretty liberating. Hmm. And we should point out that Arroyo, who is the son of the original first Latino on the council, Felix Arroyo, Ricardo Arroyo, won in his District 5 as well. So um, so there's two, let- it, we went from none mm-hmm. um, yeah. to two uh, on the council, which is And we're forgetting to talk about the guys. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I, that's why I brought him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought well, him up. <laughs> and by the way, if, if uh, one of the present city councils we've named should knock off Marty Walsh next year. That fifth city council moves up. No, actually, there'd be a new election. I apologize. But somebody would be well-poised to move up again, too. Oh, that's a good point as well. Well, something that was uh, noted in a Mass Live article by Steph Solis was that uh, the women taking the lead here in the Boston City Council also regionally won. And then if you look out more nationally, we still see what happened in the so-called blue wave, if you want to call it like that, even though there were many people who weren't blue who were women who won, Mm -hmm. that there are women ascending to these positions. This is an interesting one. Maine, Safiya Khalid, she became uh, the first Somali-American to hold a position on the Lewiston City Council. People may know that there's a large population of Somali-Americans who are in Lewiston. Um, There's a championship soccer team that was written about who are uh, mostly Somali there. It's home now. They've made an impact there. And then finally, here's a woman who's uh, elected to the office. In Virginia, which we'll get to in a little bit later in more detail, five LGBTQ candidates elected to the legislature. 
that's mm-hmm. you know there mm-hmm. was a time when the one the one woman who was running everybody was on her like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and she says I'm you know I'm just gonna run and we'll see so now there's five that's pretty amazing and uh, let's see this is the woman who had her name drawn from the bowl uh, the last go round won her seat back Shelley Simon she's a Democrat I should also mention nobody's mentioned her is Julie Briskman. Does anybody remember that name? She was oh. a woman that threw, gave the finger to the president <laughs> during a motorcade. Just wanted to bring that up. And she lost her job. Uh, she ran for office, and now she has a new job <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the woman wave here to stay. That's what this article is saying. Well, I was going to say what's impressive, too, is that it's not just in, in places that might be very blue or, mm. or in particular areas that are uh, considered blue. I mean, you mentioned Maine. Also in Tucson, Arizona, uh, the mayor uh, was a woman. Every election, it, there seems to be more and more women that get elected. So it gives me a lot of hope. I thought the main uh, reference was striking. I've, I've been doing some work on women in politics in, or, or, sorry, regionally in New England, and Maine has never elected a woman of color to their state legislature. I know that's not the position that woman mm-hmm. um, won, uh, but it's still exciting to see some changes there. When you're really far behind, uh, one gain feels good, but you're <laughs> still really far behind. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yes, Mo. Well, if I can move off that just a little bit, because we, we focused on Boston, but throughout Massachusetts, uh, speaking of far behind, in many of our communities that have sizable minority populations, there's severe underrepresentation. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the Haverhills, the Fall Rivers, mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, there are some, I won't let the cat out of the bag, there are smarter people than me thinking about this right now, but we need this to spread out of Boston and into some of these other communities as well, because there are people there who are not being well represented. Yeah, and in in Massachusetts, the top 10 um, cities in terms of population are all white men in terms of mayors. And so, you know, it's important not to be too much of an optimist, mm. uh, to, to see the good, but also recognize um, uh, there's a fair amount of problem that remains. Um, That's my guest, Morris Moe Cunningham of UMass Boston and Aaron O'Brien of UMass Boston, masspoliticsprofs.org. I should say women are half the population, so there shouldn't be such a big excitement. (laughs) But I'm just I have to point it out because, you know, it's happening anyway. uh, Let's move on to another woman that who did win uh, both on Boston City Council and then went on to Congress to win. That would be one Ayanna Presley. Uh, She endorsed Elizabeth Warren yesterday. Let me first play a clip from Ayanna Presley uh, talking about her endorsement of Elizabeth Warren. This election is a fight for the very soul of our nation. Elizabeth knows how to fight and she knows how to win. I'm proud to call her my senator. I can't wait to call her our president. Now let me just begin this by saying I am annoyed, Mo Cunningham, that um, how this was phrased was she broke with the squad by endorsing Elizabeth Warren. You know, Ayanna Presley is her own person. She was just not a part of yeah. These other women whom she may share uh, uh, some uh, political um, commonalities, but yeah. but but she was always her own person. So this is annoying. Why couldn't it just be that she endorsed Elizabeth Warren? Period. Well, <laughs> as is each member of the squad. But as we were talking about earlier, you know, the, the the traditional pathways of politics are not 
repealed all of a sudden. It's not uncommon for uh, a congressperson uh, of a state with a senator running for president to, to back that president. And this is, this is uh, I think, helpful to both uh, Presley uh, and to Warren. Uh, she's right on message. You heard in that clip she said the word fight twice, and that's what Elizabeth Warren <laughs> is all about. So, And I think this is a wonderful addition for Warren. Louise, what do you think? Well, it was... Uh quite an endorsement for Warren, obviously. But I think uh, what you bring up about it being annoying, it's a reminder that uh, just we were just talking about women of color and women and being so excited and so on. But women are not monolithic and women of color are not monolithic. We're kind of assigning that to them. Yes. And so it's a good reminder that exactly that, that people are their own person. And so Ayanna doing this, I mean, it's, it's good in the sense that she stands up separate from the squad, but also that for Elizabeth Warren, the sense of the fight on the left, quote unquote, you know, this, this mm. is quite a, uh, a coup in terms of the relationship with uh, Bernie Sanders. So we'll see what happens. And just to pick up on that, I should mention that the other members of the, of the so-called squad are Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. And they have all endorsed Bernie Sanders to Louise's point. Aaron. You know, each squad member won a really amazing tight race. That's what they have in common. They're um, junior, well, they're freshmen, uh, congresswomen of color. And so, yeah, it makes sense you might hang out some. But guess what? You won in your top district and you're representing your own unique district. You're your own unique politician. So I don't think, uh, yeah, let's not overgeneralize. No one's talking about a squad of the four white guys who got elected. And, oh, it's so <laughs> different. They, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> but I do think, to Luis's point as well, as Mo's, it's a very typical politician move to go with your senior um, senator, especially if, you know, if Warren wins, there's a spot open. Yeah. <laughs> Again, uh, all these women are much more than just demographics. That said, Elizabeth Warren is not polling well with African-Americans. And the first place that they're going to together is North Carolina. You know, I know the map pretty well, which is right on top of South Carolina, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is early in uh, the Democratic primary process. So any Democratic politician who's going to be on the debate stage would really like Ayanna Presley in their corner, and especially those Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, who are not polling well with African-Americans. So let me just ask a question. Why are they going to North and not South? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I th- I, at first, um, when I saw it, I thought, oh, no, that must be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because, the you know, last week... Week, the state polls came out that showed all the top Democrats struggling against uh, Trump and, you know, the key swing states. I thought maybe that could be why, but I would have guessed it would have been South Carolina. Um, I would like to make two other comments about this. Um, if you're looking, still lumping everybody together, Louise, against what you just said um, and looking at the squad, Ayanna Presley is the elder statesman or stateswoman of the squad. I mean, they looked to her. When they had to make a statement as a group, if you'll recall, she was the one that spoke. Also, anybody wants her on the team because a more powerful speaker, I don't know. She's pretty doggone good. So that's just, in and of itself, will draw people just to hear her. So this is be very interesting um, to see the two of them uh, out on the hustings together. All right, let's turn to Kentucky. (laughs) Or as I've said, everybody won there, the Republicans and the Democrats. The first thing that was very shocking was that the new governor, and I'm not clear about whether or not there is some contention about a recount in this because it's very close once again. But if it's not, the new governor is Andy Brashear. He's a Democrat and he beat uh, the Republican. So let's take a listen to him first in his victory speech. 
Voters in Kentucky sent a message loud and clear for everyone to hear. It's a message that says our elections don't have to be about right versus left. They are still about right versus wrong. That was uh, Kentucky's new governor, presumably, Andy Brashear, um, mm-hmm. if he's not challenged by the by the Republican who was an incumbent, as I recall. He wasn't the incumbent. So this is a little bit shocking. They were not expecting—this is to remind people, Mitch McConnell's state. <laughs> um, and Mitch McConnell is the, the heavyweight guy for the Republicans, uh, the leader— I mean, he's got a lot of weight, not only um, nationally, but in his own state. Uh, So much so that he, I'm putting it on the table and we're going to dive in and discuss it. He was a mentor to the guy that did win for the Republicans, and that is Kentucky's first black attorney general, Daniel Cameron. We really got uh, to the core of the message here in the attorney general's race of wanting to restore the possibility of this office as the chief law enforcement office really reclaiming that role, and also defending and enforcing the laws. We've talked about those things, but now it's time to not only talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Um, So both of them are claiming to walk and talk (laughs) together um, from opposite political uh, viewpoints, but this is very interesting dynamic. Um, Who wants to start? Because I just thought, wow, this is kind of (laughs) deep. Well, I'll start... uh, Governor Bevins, who is the incumbent, uh, very unpopular, uh, is calling for a recount and is saying, well, something has gone, you know, there's something gone wrong here and uh, we need to, and uh, where does he get, but he hasn't specified where anything went wrong. Now, this is a state run by Republicans. He's the governor. Every statewide office was a Republican. Most county officials uh, were Republicans. Where have things gone wrong? This is a new thing in American politics. It traces right to Donald Trump. If I lost, then there must be uh, illegitimate uh, things going on in the ballot. There are, uh, there are outsiders here. There there are people who are not from our community. Uh, there are, uh, uh, you know, un- un- undocumented immigrants. What these things, and it's a terrible thing in American politics to have this sort of thing raised because he he may be close enough to demand a recount, but he has he has articulated no reason to believe that that count is not accurate. And I, and Mo, um, uh, that's Mo Cunningham. I just want to pick up on when you said he's unpopular. He. Um, push people off the Medicaid rolls. Yeah. Um, he uh, cut teacher salaries. I mean, wanted he wanted to go after wa- their pensions. Wanted to go after their yeah. pensions. And so there's a lot of um, um, pocketbook issues for Kentuckians that he was not on, as far as they were concerned, were not yeah. on the right side of. Yeah. That's right. And mm-hmm. he, uh, uh, let's give him credit. Those are nakedly the positions of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. He went out there, uh, much like the guy in Kansas, remember Brownback mm-hmm. did, mm-hmm. and he went out there and he went full bore Republican and he got his butt kicked. And it shows you then that how Democrats can win in deeply red states, right? Trump won that state by 30 points. Um, and the Democrats, uh, Bashir's dad had been the one that had expanded Medicaid there. He was one of the few. Uh, states that actually embraced, uh, red states that embraced Obamacare. And so you have a situation here where um, it's a very clear contrast. And the governor, well, the new governor, Bashir, um, was very clear. That's what we're fighting for, right? There wasn't much of an effort to um, have leftist or left, left-leaning left kinds of positions. Um, but then um, Bevan tried to make this about, you know, Trump and the cultural mm. war and so on. 
And in that sense, it shows you, right? You it, the Democrats in red states have to stay with these um, pocketbook issues, mm -hmm. and then they have a chance. Erin? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, sometimes we want to take away national les lessons from a local race, and I don't think we really can from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like um, uh, a Rorschach test. Mm -hmm. uh, you can read whatever you want to, and most of us are reading, you know, our own political inclinations in. You know, the, the incumbent was a, a uniquely bad governor. Mm -hmm. um, it, he didn't just go after teacher pensions. He said when the teachers went on strike, I'm laughing because it's so absurd, um, that uh, th that meant that children were going to be more likely to be victims of um, sexual abuse. Wow. What? Right? Yeah. Can, I think we can all agree. You know what I know about teachers? They're against that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know, going after it. So he's uniquely bad. So maybe maybe Kentucky just was responding to a really bad politician who went after, you know, uh, incredibly popular groups like teachers, yeah. elementary school teachers. Uh, but other Democrats are going to say, hey, wait a second. Trump went there and closed mm -hmm. and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And if you're Trump and Republicans, he can, I, I think it's fair to say Trump maybe did keep a, a race really close that should have been farther apart. So uh, there's no clear message from this to me. Everyone's reading into it what um, they want. And I just don't think we can take major lessons except for don't be an incredibly bad politician. OK, well, can, can we take a message from uh, Daniel Cameron, uh, first black attorney general, a Republican mentee of Mitch McConnell winning? In that seat. Um, that was a particularly ugly race uh, with a lot of uh, nasty stuff going on. In fact, um, someone filed a lawsuit questioning whether Cameron had um, was actually the appropriate age and credentials uh, because he's quite young. He's not that young, but uh, but the credential part was up for discussion, apparently. So you have to have certain kinds of credentials to run for this office. Someone filed a lawsuit to say he did not. Uh, his opponent, by the way, said, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. I didn't sink to that level. So, um, and I think Cameron believes um, him in that way. And anyway, the, the, he won the lawsuit and he went forward and he won the, the seat. So what are we saying? I, and, and I should, uh, the last thing I should mention is that on the night uh, that he accepted victory, this is Daniel Cameron, the winner, um, he said he would consider something that his opponent had raised the whole time, which was to make uh, medical marijuana available for people, which I guess it had not been. And uh, the the his um, now a defeated opponent had asked that even in conceding, saying, please, would you consider this? I think this is very important. And he said he would. See, I, I've heard of an African-American politician having his credentials questioned <laughs> and looks like the people on the left and the right, though you were not his opponent. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, race trumps party sometimes. Yeah. 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 You know, it's it, it, it's the impact of outside independent groups. And when politicians sometimes say, you know, with a wink, oh, you know, I'm independent from that. I don't want that happening. But it, it actually is true to a lot of extent. Politicians often you know, they want to control their message and they want to control what's going on in the campaign. And with independent groups like this, they can't do that. Um, you know, Republicans looking at this race, I'm sure, uh, find some solace in the fact that the the attorney general uh, won, a black Republican and so on. And I'm sure Mitch McConnell is thinking um, or thought, you know, OK, this is good and so on. To Aaron's point about the nationalization of it, though, um, it's true. I mean, I agree that it's probably we can't take too many lessons from this because it's a deep red state and so on. And every other uh, race, statewide race, was won by a Republican. But but 
the issue here is that because everybody's reading whatever they want to read into it, if I was a Republican senator somewhere, I might might think, well, yeah, it's Kentucky, everybody else won, this was a particularly bad governor and so on, but what if I'm wrong? What if it's, you know, I mean, it just kind of gives you panic, frankly, mm. and especially because of the suburbs, the Cincinnati suburbs, Lexington suburbs. Um, that trend is very clear, still going the Democrats' way, the Democrats' way. Um, and so I, I would not be so sure that people are not reading. I mean, actually, it doesn't really matter how people are reading this yeah. too much because I think there's going to be a lot of people that are panicking right now. And I think Amy McGrath, who's running against Mitch McConnell, is very happy because outside donors mm. yep. are going to be, oh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? She's viable. Right. Uh, so money might come in. More money might come in. I also have to say that um, I think this is going to have, that his Daniel Cameron's win is going to have larger meaning in this sense. Um, he's not um, those uh, silly women that traveled around with Trump at his rally, those silly black women that were just dismissed as oh, kind of mm-hmm. kooky. Yeah. You know, he's got credentials. He does have credentials, as the law said. Um, he, he's, you know, he present, he's ready to take on this role. He's a thoughtful person, and he is a, an admirer of the president and Mitch McConnell. I mean, this, and he's black. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you he, they, mm. they get a few points I would say for not giving much, but that's me. But they get a few points, uh, more than a few points, than just the simple matter of his winning. I think it. I mean, I think there's a larger, maybe implied message. I don't know. Well, something's going on there. <laughs> well, and I don't. You know, obviously, yeah. I'm not in Kentucky, and I don't yeah. know everything that goes on. But at least to the extent that, he, as, as we were just talking about, he, he says, "Well, uh, this my opponent had this position. Uh, this happened to be on medical marijuana, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to look at that." So he's at least showing. Uh, some sense of independence, because I think, you know, some of the things we've talked about, you know, the positions Bevins took, you know, uh, on Medicare and on teachers and so forth, they're kind of Republican mainstream positions now. And, and uh, you know, you can't follow those, I don't think, without getting into some trouble. So he has a balancing act to be. I'm a, you know, I can be a McConnell Trump Republican. But on the other hand, I'm going to be independent and think things through for myself. Uh, if he does that, then I think he'll have some success in the future. Well, what I really meant, though, Louise, was the race thing and how much the Republicans can gain from having a, a black Republican who presents extremely well and is not one of the sort of kooky people that are following Trump around, but who is an avowed Trump supporter and a Mitch McConnell supporter. That's what I meant. Well, that's ab- <laughs> that's absolutely true. Any any black Republican mm-hmm. that can be shown to support uh, Trump that is not uh, what you call kooky. Well, these right? people so, were kooky. Yeah, I, so, I, don't mean, I don't mean all black Republicans are. That's not what I mean. I mean, yes. I mean were weird. Right. I mean the people yeah, that were traveling I, 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 with, I know, with I know President who, Trump. Yes. I know who yeah. you Somebody's mean. Somebody's got to fill in when Ben Carson yeah. is busy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know Tim Scott and and yes, other people Tim like Scott that. Respected, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Those people o- always do bring gravitas and do help. They have to help. Yeah. Trump and the Republicans. All right. Well, we have much more to talk about. And uh, if you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are the three contributors to Mass Politics blog: Aaron O'Brien, Luis Jimenez, and Mo Morris Cunningham of UMass Boston. And we're dedicating the full hour to local and national politics. And And um, we're going to take a break right now and coming back with more insight and analysis from this group as we continue our full hour special on local and national politics. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.
Callie Crossley. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. It's the second part of our hour-long discussion on the latest in political news. And here to give us their insight and analysis are three of the mass politics profs, Aaron O'Brien, Luis Jimenez, and Mo Morris Cunningham. All three of them are associate professors of political science at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Let's jump right back into our conversation. Um, I'm going right at this. Big poll from Telemundo says Latinos say Biden is the candidate with the best chance of beating President Trump, according to this new poll. A half, according to the poll of of Latinos, believe no Democratic candidate can beat Trump. Six out of 10 support impeaching Trump, removing him from office. 64 percent would replace Trump with a Democrat. Eighty two percent are concerned about foreign government intervention in the 2020 elections. And uh, 72 percent, I think this is important, too, are worried about becoming victims of a hate crime like El Paso. So there's a lot going on in this poll. But the headline is they still say Biden is the one to beat. Luis, you want to weigh in on this? (laughs) Uh, I mean, most of the poll, it's not surprising to me. The Biden um, point um, is somewhat surprising, but I think to some extent uh, people people like uh, Obama a lot. They they're familiar with Biden. I don't, I'm not so sure they're as familiar with some of the other folks, especially Buttigieg. And so they. So what about Julio Castro? He's in the race. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's that is true. I think he hasn't gotten um, a lot of traction um, with Latinos in the same way that uh, Obama didn't, because at at the beginning, yes. if you recall, mm-hmm. uh, only after he won Iowa did he get much traction, and and because people. Uh, you know, perceive um, individuals as not being viable, which is a shame, especially mm-hmm. with Julian Castro. But, um, but yeah, the Biden. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can explain that because it doesn't. Uh, I think it's just a, a, a something to do with familiarity more than anything. Oh, okay. What do you guys think? Um, you know, I'm torn. Actually, uh, Mo and I were talking about this last week, uh, just in office talk uh, a little bit. At a certain point, I think, OK, Latinos are, you know, you just read the results of those polls. African-Americans are not, at least to my knowledge, not a poll asked the same type of questions, mm. but are certainly aligning behind um, uh, Biden in terms of numbers. You know, Hillary Clinton last week came out and said, we need a candidate that can win the Electoral College. At some point... Do Democrats need to start listening to these yeah. three indicators? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's not your favorite candidate if you're not in the Biden camp, but communities of color, which are absolutely central to Democratic wins, are are, are giving a same a, a real message, and it feels a little paternalistic to say, you know, oh, you'll change your mind, or you know, if mm. you hear different, or you know, with more exposure. I know that's not the the, the way you meant it. I also thought Castro, I remember, I think it was the first or I think it was the second debate. Um, he had a tough exchange yes. uh, with Biden. And I think he's definitely paid for that in terms of fundraising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me let me just add to that, though, Mo, before you respond to this, is that when we talk about um, the numbers for African-Americans still at this point, you know, adding up for Biden, there is a huge divide divide generationally. Yeah. So you're talking about. The super voters, the African-American older people, I don't know if that translates to this Telemundo poll in terms of age. I don't know. But when you start talking to younger African-Americans, they are really not hearing Joe Biden. They're not hearing it. So I'm I'm at a loss as to how to assess any of this, to your point, um, Aaron. So what do you say to that? Well, nor are a lot of young people. 
uh, tuning into to Joe Biden. Um, you know, so I think that's a, that's a that's a problem for him. It, it's sort of interesting. We were talking uh, yes, yesterday uh, about uh, you know uh, back to the Presley endorsement of Warren, and, and somebody raised me, well, AOC endorsed Sanders. I said, well, but Sanders already has all the young Democratic mm-hmm. socialists. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's not bringing him anything new or reinforcing. She's terrific. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, mm-hmm. but young people are already with Sanders. It's it's an interesting phenomenon. So many uh, are, are with him, um, and so I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I. I think some really specific polling in the African-American community on younger people Mm -hmm. would be very revealing because Biden just isn't getting it done with young people overall. Let me add Mm -hmm. uh, to the part about the hate crime uh, Mm -hmm. part. I mean, I have been hearing this a lot. People are very concerned. My own family has been talking about this and just people feeling not welcome, people feeling very concerned. And so maybe the Biden issue is that they see... I mean, I, I'm not sure. I can't mm. say this for certain, but it, it might be a, a, a sense that, you know, women, uh, Warren is too similar to Hillary or other folks that are just unknown. We need somebody that beats Trump, period. Mm. Yeah. And so Biden, you know, is, quote unquote, mm. the safe choice in some way. And so whatever it takes, that's, you know, if it takes Biden, then that's fine. And and they perceive him as safer just because uh, they, they might perceive Warren as being too close to Hillary. And Bernie... Uh, I'm not sure. Um, maybe maybe ideologically too far. I don't know. All right. Well, let's move on to the impeachment hearings and the impact on uh, elections. Uh, the one thing that I did want to mention is that uh, the Republicans are now saying that they're thinking about putting Ohio Representative Jim Jordan on the impeachment inquiry. He is a staunch uh, President Trump supporter. Um, here's a here's a clip from him about how he feels about the impeachment hearings thus far. I want to help the country see the truth here that President Trump didn't do anything wrong and what the Democrats are doing is partisan, it's unfair, and frankly, it's ridiculous, particularly the way they've went about with these secret meetings in the bunker in the basement of the Capitol. We should note, there are Republicans on the committee who have been in the uh, the deposition hearings, which are normally private, uh, before uh, all along. So the reason they want Jim Jordan, he's a particularly strong defender of of the president. And obviously, you just heard him say that he doesn't believe in the hearings. Um, and uh, as of next week, uh, the the all of this inquiry will be public. So all of the in, the questioning from both parties, everybody will be able to see for themselves. Anyway, um, what's the impact uh, at this point as you all are reading it? Uh, of having uh, yeah, the impeachment hearings on oh. either party. Do we did we see any of that reflected in the recent elections? I, I, I think uh, too soon. Well, mm-hmm. I, we were. Um, uh, I know. <laughs> I, think what was, I, I think you know. Stepping back from this, I think um, this is uh, a real test for the country. I, yeah, I, you know, I'm not Pollyanna, mm-hmm. but um, can anybody take in new information and be willing to change their mind? Mm-hmm. Um, and all the evidence thus far suggests no. Now, there are Democrats who have moved once, uh, you know, the phone call with Ukraine came out. They were unsure about impeachment, and that did push them towards. But you have these hearings, at least on paper, you have these hearings to learn information and weigh evidence. Jeffords isn't getting on this committee because he's a, a fine legal mind. Mm. He's getting on because he's a flamethrower mm. who will get a lot of attention uh, by media, and, you know, he'll be the clip that they take out. You have Lindsey Graham saying... I'm not going even. I'm not even going to read the material. So um, I think 
uh, impeachment is sort of holding a mirror to us, not only how far divided we are, but how unwilling we are to truly engage political evidence and weigh through it and be open to uh, multiple possibilities. Hmm. Mo? Yeah, you know, I... Uh, I talk about this with my students and went back and read a little bit of what Hamilton wrote about impeachment. And he, Hamilton knew that it, Alexander, it, Alexander Hamilton, Hamilton mm-hmm. in the Federalist Papers mm-hmm. knew that if we had impeachment, it would it would embroil the partisan passions. Even that ha- having that been said, this is such an extraordinary test that we are failing or at least one party is failing badly. Um, you know, these folks could not play for Bill Belichick because the mantra down in Foxborough is do your job. And they're not. Mm. <laughs> they're not. Um, I can I, I almost can't stand in front of my students and teach checks and balances any longer because, you know, mm. the idea Madison had was that the personal ambitions of the person would be married to the job. Mm. And so the Congress is supposed to do its job and push back when they see clear evidence as as had been coming out. Uh, and and they're not doing it, and and this is really discouraging. And I'm hope I'm hoping Luis is smirking at me because he he knows why. He's he, <laughs> he's a little bit more. He, he has something to say about this topic. I think. All right, Luis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, Mo is referring to the fact that I often say that uh, there's no Americanist in comparist anymore. We're all comparist now mm-hmm. uh, in political science. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the founding fathers, the two things they were worried about more than anything when they were doing the when they were writing the Constitution was. Uh, what they called cabal in the domestic politics, so intrigue, you know, with the Electoral College. And the other thing was foreign influence in elections Mm. and foreign influence with the president. So this, I mean, this is not some hypothetical. This is the exact thing that they were worried about. And so that's why, in that sense, anybody that has, that looks at this um, with an open mind can, you know, would be worried about. Um, That's why Republicans are talking about process and all of that. But the truth is, of course, that it doesn't really matter what Nancy Pelosi does or what the Democrats do. They could never satisfy whatever um, things they demanded, right? Whatever they did, if they opened it up, if they closed it, if they whatever, what would happen would be that they would be uh, Republicans would say this is, you know, against the American people and this is all not transparent or too much too transparent or something. Um, because they just can't defend them on the substance. But the question is, to what extent does that affect the American public? And to be honest with you, I am not seeing much. Uh, Mo says we're failing it as an institutional or as or Congress as an institution. But as far as I can tell, the public seems to be failing it too because there doesn't seem to be much movement. People seem to be um, in their corners, whatever your uh, partisan affiliation is already. Um, you kind of go with that. Hmm. All right. Well, let me move on to uh, the Democratic presidential campaign uh, where there's been, you know, some movement uh, since we last gathered. Uh, Beto's out. Um, Tom Steyer has made the stage, which makes me crazy. Um, <laughs> I just have to say. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, drilling down, though, to other uh, candidates, uh, Pete Buttigieg is surging now. Um, we should mention that Kamala Harris has cut all of her staff from New Hampshire, moved everything to Iowa. She's letting it all ride on Iowa. Elizabeth Warren is, you know, out even more everywhere. I double the time, if if that's possible. Um, And she's clearly one of the four top people now. But Buttigieg is surprising a lot of people by coming up strong. Um, And he has a 
African-American issue, as you referred to uh, earlier, uh, Aaron, in this discussion. He's now trying to respond to it. And this is because um, recently South Carolina uh, Representative Jim Clyburn suggested that older African-Americans, we just said those are the people that vote, um, have an issue with Buttigieg's sexuality. Let me t- uh, let's take a listen to what how Pete Buttigieg responded to his remarks. Here's Pete responding. Elections are about this. They're about voters asking the question, how will my life be different if you get elected president versus somebody else? I think we have the best answer to that question. And if I can do my job and get that answer in front of as many voters as possible, it is remarkable how Americans are capable of moving past old habits, moving past old prejudices, making history. All right. So just to be clear, um, a couple of African-Americans have come out and said this his homosexuality doesn't have any thing to do with it. One um, is gay herself and a columnist for the Globe. That would be uh, Renee Graham. She just wrote a piece about, no, no, no. He's just got some other issues that black people are unhappy about, and that is not it. Um, and Kamala Harris came out and said, hey, don't, don't do that. That's an old trope, and that is not appropriate. And no, that's not the reason why people are responding to him or, or not responding to him. So you can have that any part of this discussion. Uh, Mo, I'll, let, I'll start with you. Well, again, it goes to the to the younger and older divide. And, you know, it's it's nice on some level to say that we don't have these things anymore. But, you know, Jim Clyburn is a is a is a pretty he's sharp an older politician. I guess he say. is. But he's also <laughs> yes. a pretty sharp politician. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, if he recognizes that you know, we can't pretend and say these things aren't there because we you know, would like them to not be there. So um, it's, again, sort of a, a younger, older divide. And you hope it's you'd hope it's not there and you you pray for the day when it goes away. But on some level, Clyburn may have a point. OK. Um, what about others that say there, he has other issues that that's not the reason why people are not in, in this arena, not supporting him? I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what there probably is some extent uh, or to some extent there's some um, problem with his sexuality. But I think it's absolutely unfair to say it's African-Americans mm. that point, are yeah. the ones that are, are particularly homophobic or uh, whatever it is. I mean, the fact is that Buttigieg had has had it's a uh, mayor of South Bend. Uh, several problems with the African-American community. This is not uh, something that somebody made up. Um, and so people are responding to that. But the other thing, too, is that, um, frankly, I don't see even his uh, positions, even the way that he, what he talks about, um, what his campaign is about, to be particularly um, uh, bringing up issues that African-Americans might care about. Mm-hmm. Other, other folks are just better at talking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you just said. And I think there's never one reason like somebody's not mm-hmm. doing well. So it could be everything we just discussed. Yeah, there were major incidents in South Bend with the police. Uh, and I'm still surprised he hasn't paid more for that in the Democratic primary. Um Plus, I think he comes off as smug. Uh, uh, that's just a personal reaction. Mm-hmm. And if you're an older voter, um, you know, the whippersnapper, <laughs> to quote my <laughs> grandfather, uh, the whippersnapper that's been mayor of 100,000 people telling you how to think. And this is how politics works. There's other individuals that are potentially more likable to communities of color. Iowa is really white. I think 3% of the either the state or Democratic voters are African-American. Um, you know, he's surging in a place that looks a lot like him. Uh, you know, um, uh, stuff in Indiana isn't that far mm-hmm. from Iowa. And so, 
we've seen a number of candidates go up and down on this. And, uh, you know, he surged before. And when he surged before, he was a progressive. Mm. Now he's surging again. And uh, he's a moderate. He's reinvented himself. And I think the longer he's in this race, um, you know, he's uh, he's thrown a lot of things at Elizabeth Warren in terms of her policy plans and positions. And you start looking carefully at his health care plan, you know, and it, it, it counts on getting it through Congress and things like that. So I, I just don't think Pete Buttigieg yet has had um, the real the, the tough, tough trials of having a, a deep dive on your record. Um, and I just want to add, if you know, if people are listening, going, okay, so the African American people don't like him. If I assume that, uh, the reason we're raising it is because um, African American voters will make an impact in this election, um, mm -hmm. either by staying home or going out. Right. So yep. this is this is part of it, and that's this is a constituency that he has to um, speak to. I mean, all of them do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important. I mean, he's got many constituencies, as they all do. But this is one that he cannot afford to ignore. So that's mm -hmm. why we, we spend some time with that. And I think, too, the yeah. fact that African-Americans haven't lined up be, uh, behind Kamala speaks to a theme that we've been talking about this whole time. Voters, we might be failing on impeachment, but voters are not like demographic drones. You know, you might want to see someone who looks like you, but not at the expense of policy. Uh, so it's one consideration, not the only consideration. Now, that was my guest, Aaron O'Brien of the Mass Politics Prof. So, okay, you said why you think Kamala is falling behind. Boy, there's a real harsh um, piece in the Atlantic about how she was the female Obama, and now she's you know gone down to, to number five or something in the in the consideration of in the lineup of of of, uh, of potential candidates. But Mo, what what's your take? Boy, I'd be interested in what my colleagues say because I'm I'm somewhat mystified by this. I I walked into her uh, 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 cross examination, if you will, of Bill Barr, and uh, gosh, the talent that she has just came out it was she was and she's no nonsense she's tough um and she is really she just seems to be really smart to me so i'm i'm a little bit baffled that she isn't doing better here what do you think louise um well frank i'm, I'm surprised too because if you recall there was that moment when, with the biden moment if you recall mm -hmm. that i really thought that she was going to be one of the top four and she was just going to stay there uh, but there seems to be a lot of pushback from her prosecutor past people uh, are very concerned about that, and and to be honest, I don't think that she uh, handled that well when when this was brought up. I don't think she did that, or she handled it very well. And so, um, she, there seems to be there, there seems to be a campaign that just keeps uh, flailing uh, and trying to respond to some of these weaknesses. And I think that's the main reason, but that that she hasn't done as well. So, and I was going to say, I agree with you on her uh, prosecuting, and that's so so talented. And the Biden moment, however, she undercut that um, herself by the moment she said it, her team or somebody made the really ill-considered decision to make T-shirts out of that and mm -hmm. send it out. Mm -hmm. So it, it, for people, it came across as, wait a minute, was that a sincere statement? Or are you just trying to, mm. you know, and it's okay. A week later would have been fine. Two weeks later would have been fine. But the day, I mean, it felt mm -hmm. kind of, yeah. Oh, gee, she acted like a politician. Yeah, I know. I, I know. We, we want I purity. Do, right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. I do think, and I agree with everything my colleagues have said, it's not just one thing. I do think I get just a whiff of, or it's just something I'm feeling, Kamala seems to actually be having fun, you know, <laughs> yeah. like when she's running. And it's like she's being uh, held to a different standard 
standard. Mm. I think Warren gets this some too, and obviously gender is a factor here. The fact that they're having fun, like she's laughing, you know, she seems yeah. to be having. Now, to Mo's point, she's an extraordinary, like, I want her on every judiciary thing yeah. if I, I'm a Democrat. But I just wonder why people don't seem to like her having some joy, which I just don't get. Oh, okay. Well, that could be part of it. It's just, it is very interesting why she's, where she is not resonating as much. And maybe that'll mm -hmm. change because things go up and down, as you know. I have to remind everybody, and we need to <laughs> remind ourselves, it was just last week where we just made the one year till the 2020 election. Right, right. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not. Uh, it's going to be a long it's gonna year. Be, we got a lot, we <laughs> got a lot to go. Um, I do want to mention uh, Julian Castro, who has said he's not going anywhere. Even though he's had some money issues, he's still raising money and he's out there and he intends to, to be in it. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, a lot of people are. I, I yeah. think he, yeah. I, I'm also mm -hmm. sad that he hasn't um, made much of, or, or hasn't gotten more traction, but he's run a very smart campaign. Mm -hmm. He has had uh, what he has said about ICE, what he has said about homelessness, what he has said a bunch of, a bunch of different topics, um, I think is, is impressive. I, I am very impressed with some of the policies that he has had. Uh, part, though, the, I don't know if it's the media, I don't know if it's, uh, something else. They seem to be very skeptical, and it's sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, they're skeptical of his candidacy, right? right. Uh, and so it it seems to be a self-fulfilling prophecy where he doesn't get, you know, if you recall, Beto got those nice magazine covers and that sort of thing. Julian never never did. And he also he has did. an Obama connection, and it doesn't seem to play for him as it does for Joe Biden, for example. Well, I mean, yeah. he, it, it was more of an obscure connection. But, but Castro he did was a get secretary. that He was in the cabinet. That's not obscure. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> come on, housing, Liz. housing. I mean, okay, fair enough. Dang, but not the cool Dang. one. Is, is, <laughs> Louise's standards are high. <laughs> <laughs> I. I <laughs> Uh, I think part of it, though, is he did get that treatment. He got it 12 years ago. That's right? true. When Very he true. was, I was on a panel, you know, like 12 years ago, and he was the hot new thing. I was down in San Antonio, and he was there. And it's like you can only be new in politics for so long, especially when, for Democrats, this is a really deep um, uh, a candidate pool. There's a lot to like. Why Cory Booker, I think, is getting more attention now. But, you know, he's a guy who also has been the hot new thing. So um, I think Castro just that's not that's not the only reason he's doing well. But, you know, he's been an up and comer for 15 years. Yeah. OK, one word from each of you. Who gets Beto's people now that he dropped out? <laughs> Which one? Give me a name. <laughs> Mo, why are you laughing? Just give me a name. Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete. Yeah, I would agree. Would oh, judge. Louise. Okay. Uh, Castro and Pete. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I was just curious. All right. Mm -hmm. Not Kamala. It's so fascinating. Or maybe even, <laughs> to, to, well, I'll, I'll, I take it back. Uh. To the extent that uh, Beto started to resonate a bit and did get a little bit of a, uh, you know, a push when he went really tough on guns. Mm -hmm. Cory Booker is somebody else who's at, at least mm. uh, been a, a bit open. He's careful on language, mm -hmm. but on buyback programs and more of a... Um, not a mandate, but more of a push. So I wonder if, if you're a single-issue voter, maybe you take another look at uh, Cory Booker. All right. Um, so here's something that's interesting. The next big debate is uh, November 20th, and it's going to be at Tyler Perry's studio in Atlanta. Now, that sounds small, but Tyler Perry has a huge facility that he just opened. Um, apparently, it's bigger than Paramount and name the other two combined. That's how much space he has. Um, but 
It is in Georgia, <laughs> which is the, where the Democrats want to go. That makes sense for them on many levels. Uh, Georgia is also uh, in the middle of this uh, anti-abortion ruling. And so a number of entertainers and other people refused to go. In fact, some people went to his opening saying, I'm only coming to the opening and I'm not doing anything else and I'm out and I'm not coming back because that's my protest. A lot of other, uh, there's a lot of massive filming done in Georgia and a number of production companies have pulled their weight. More specifically to him, he's had some union issues, which is a problem, I think, for Democrats. <laughs> mm -hmm. But be that as it may, he's African-American, he owns this big thing, and they're, they're going to be there. What do y'all think? Any any blowback? Um, because it's a fabulous facility, and he, you know, good choice otherwise, but there are some issues. I can't say Doesn't I know matter. enough about the facility, <laughs> but, you know, Georgia is also a place Democrats should have won had they... Had voter suppression not occurred last time, it's it's the home state of Stacey Abrams. And so uh, I think it's on other levels, it's a place to make a statement. But I, I can't say enough about the facility because I just don't know enough about it, I don't think. Mm -hmm. In terms of blowback, though, I think people are probably not following the race that closely that there would be enough blowback. And to the extent that people are following closely, they probably already have their preferences. And so, you know, Bernie Sanders is going to show up. They're not going to be like, oh, my goodness, Bernie, why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. So... Right. Gotcha. Yeah, this is Democrats getting in okay. their own way. Okay. You know, like we just talked about all these important policy issues and it's like, oh, it's at his studio, the biggest studio. Come on. Yeah. You know, yeah. like <laughs> we, we've got enough to worry about than than this. All right. OK. Who falls out next? Any predictions? One word. I'm going around as this is my close. <laughs> I hope Stayer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of the people Same that are, be, I, I think maybe Klobuchar. Klobuchar, Mo. Oh, I hope Stayer too. But you know, there's so many people. I mean, I was looking. It was my class yesterday. Messum, Messum, Messum. Messum. He hasn't been in for forever. How about Sestak? <laughs> Messum is still in. Sestak is, is still oh, in. Okay. Yes. Gosh. There you okay. Go. okay. All right. Okay. Of the big names, though, Klobuchar, I think is okay. going to be. Okay. Right. We were thinking of the stage people. Mo's right, though. There are a lot of non-stage people. <laughs> okay. that, yeah, they don't care where the debate is. They just want to be with yeah. Tyler Berry on that stage. <laughs> gotcha. All right. <laughs> well, that's the insight for <laughs> an analysis <laughs> from folks who know. I want to thank you all for joining me. It's fun. Erin <laughs> O'Brien, Luis Jimenez, and uh, Morris Mo Cunningham are all associate professors of political science at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, as well as contributors to the Mass Politics Profs blog. You can find more of their insight and analysis at masspoliticsprofs.org. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show, links to stories we discussed today, and bonus content on the web at wgbh.org news. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Callie Crossley and like us at Facebook.com slash Under the Radar WGBH. Our intern is Melissa Rosales. Our engineer is Dave Goodman. Francisca Monahan is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.